2: Hey everybody, welcome to Pretty Scary. Pretty Scary Boo. Carrie? Oh wow. Yeah, no, she's she's
0: she's icing us out Still again. Still no
2: words. No. Well thank you for joining us. Either way, even though she's not gonna talk.
0: She's flipping me off. It's a little it's fine.
2: That's Carrie. Good old Carrie. <laughs> but we do have a guest. Caitlin, introduce our guest. Okay. This is so exciting. So
0: today we have in our really glamorous studio the disco in the, studio. In, in the tower that we are now looking down on Pop's Tower. Yeah, on right? Pop's Tower in Burbank, California. Burbank, California. Right. Uh, today we have the director of. A huge new true crime documentary called "Abducted in Plain Sight." I know if you haven't seen it yet, you've at least heard about it or seen some articles about it. It's blowing up. It's blowing up, and I am so excited to introduce Sky Borgman. How are you?
1: I am so excited to be here. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for asking me to be on this podcast. I just I can't wait to talk to you
0: both. The, these are these thank are your, you these are your people. Trust me. I know. The people yeah. I know. Listening to this are yeah. this is their shit. So uh, I have so many questions. Can I just like, go? Yeah.
2: Well. I mean we should let Sky do you wanna give some people the, the background on some people. Just not everyone He's listening, just some people? people.
0: Yeah, you're right. Okay, Adam, some you're right. You're right, you're right, you're
2: right. Background on abducted in plain sight for people who haven't. The last time I was this excited
0: it. on the show was when we when we interviewed that author who knew all of about the LA true crime stuff from like the fifties.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, that was that was a lot of she fun. She had
0: black dahlia facts.
2: Oh awesome. And my head exploded. Yeah. <laughs> I'm back now. But yeah, abducted in plain sight, it's it's such a great documentary i actually i watched it i was just randomly scrolling through documentaries on amazon and i actually rented it
1: oh did you like, really yeah before it was wow. on
2: netflix because i saw the description yeah. and was like oh my god
1: well i remember when we were emailing and you were like i think i've watched this i'm like really have you watched it it's not real i mean it's kind of out but it's not really out yeah but
0: like, yeah, that's it we were emailing pre-explosion yeah of your of your, of your movie right like, yeah that was like the very and by the time that I kind of figured out what was going on I was like oh this is a really big documentary for the true crime world like right. that so my my audience will have seen it. Now we're in a whole other stratosphere with this thing.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because it, it was a whole different stratosphere for me about six months ago <laughs> because I started really sort of focusing on the true crime audiences and trying to yeah. get the film in front of them because we were on the festival circuit, but like I, it's such a weird thing because there aren't that many true crime film festivals. So getting it out in front of true crime people is not the easiest thing in the world. To Are there do. any
0: true crime Crime Film Festival? Yeah.
1: So, Toronto, well, so I we know. We have to go. Yes. Yeah. Toronto True Crime Film Festival which had its first festival last year and we were the opening night film oh, wow. and Lisa Gallagher who is amazing she runs the whole thing it's a great film festival and I think I was saying is there any other film festival for true crime enthusiasts and she was like there's one other one in New York and I think now yeah. because the desire to watch these films is so giant I think more people are getting onto it and kind of doing sort of dual festivals where they're doing kind of horror film festivals and true crime film festivals
0: I also think That I mean, if we really want to talk about the there's always there have always been true crime documentaries. Oh, it's just now we're retroactively naming them true crime, but really what they are is journalism, (laughs) right? So, I mean, like, I you know what I mean? Like, I it's just that I feel like it we're living in such a fractured time where we're trying now, we're just trying to categorize everything right now, which in in this case has been great, especially for the you know the wheelhouse that the three of us have been in but yeah well, yeah. do you think
1: i mean it feels like there's been an explosion in the last few years really of true oh, crime yes.
0: why do you think that is uh, I think because of podcasts
1: i think serial I think so too, totally yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: well, because you know so I started watching true crime i was- sick, I was homesick a lot, yeah you know very Spielberg of me, and <laughs> um you know it started with unsolved mysteries and then snapped i think was. The first show that elevated from, okay, we've got some unsolved murders and aliens. And this is like, no, we know exactly who killed these people. And now we have a theme. (laughs) So now this is what this is. And then that was on Oxygen. And from that show, uh, you kind of started to see this cross-pollinization between that and then A&E was an early adopter of true crime. But they were, I would say that they really led the journalist um, quality uh, with the true crime stuffs because they had City Confidential, uh, Cold Case Files, I think is what it was called, and it was like you know Stacey Keach doing the voices right, and all right. that stuff, which was so great. And then I think the third point of this triangle is like the Datelines in the twenty twenties,
2: Forensic Files too. Oh that yeah, was, Forensic Files. Forensic Files was, was OG. Yes. OG. Yeah, Where did yeah. that even air on? Originally? I don't know because
0: I mean now it's like always on HLN, always. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, it's just or like any hotel room you go right. to. Yeah. <laughs> Forensic Files is playing. You're like, okay, cool. You know The
2: narrator of Forensic Files was the best true crime I agree. narrator yes. of all time. He's up yeah. there with
0: Keith Morrison, I think.
2: And I wanted when I started working at Cracked back in two thousand 11 i was like finally i have a job where i'm going to be able to reach out to that guy and do something with him and then he died like
0: oh. a day
2: later I or ho- something i
0: hope they were able to find out why they still haven't solved this oh deal, man no. <laughs> i and i i love watching the old episodes of forensic files because it's like it, criminologists use cutting-edge technology yeah. and it's like that first mac you know right like I,
2: with I like, like wa- dos
0: cards and you know
2: i like watching them and in- just kind of trying to figure out which ones they just coerced confessions in.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, you
2: didn't have that evidence. Get out of yeah, here. Yeah, <laughs>
0: no. but yeah. So I think I think back to your original question. I think it I think it was true crime podcast because suddenly everybody started looking around at each other and going like, "Wait, you like this stuff too?" You know, it's not just trashy TV. You know, and that's really how White Wine True Crime got started because Carrie and I were doing a show. And we were both drinking white wine and Carrie made some flippant comment about luminol. Right. <laughs> and right. I was like, wait a minute.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I also think podcasts really gave us kind of the first opportunity to dig really deeply into something. You yeah. know, you've got 20 hours to put Absolutely. some content out there, and it wasn't just a 90-minute documentary or a one-hour show that we're watching. You know, yeah. you could really dive deep into so many different facets of it.
0: Yeah, and I think also just with the cross-stream of podcasts and social media. Oh yeah. So social media is really the the biggest vehicle for why true crime became a thing. Because yes. Because we've been fascinated. I, I've said this a million times. Like we've been fascinated by especially murder since it's literally the second story in the Bible. Yeah. it I mean, right. like we've been into this for a while now, and you know, Jack the Ripper was a, a phenomenon. Uh, you know. So, but it's a good segue because your documentary is not about murder. No. It's no. it's a much it's a it's a topic that I would, I mean I'll get into this a little bit more later. I want to cr- I credit the True Crime Wave for our ability to have these conversations now.
2: Oh, I agree with you completely. How how did you decide like what made you decide to cover this story? Yeah. Like where did you first encounter
1: Yeah, this my story? first
2: encounter was really with the book that they wrote stolen innocence and they
1: had self-published this book in the early 2000s and uh A friend of mine, Stephanie Toby, who's one of the producers on the film, she and Jan had a mutual friend. And so Jan, it was when Ariel Castro and the girls escaped from Ariel Castro and it was all over the media. And Stephanie was like, her brain was exploding and she was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. This is crazy, crazy, crazy. And she talked to her friend and she's like, oh, you think that story's crazy? You should read this. Handed Stephanie the book and Stephanie read it was like holy cow, like yeah. how does this happen? Right. And so the mutual friend introduced the two of them and Steph hadn't really worked on a documentary before. So she and I knew each other from working on other projects before. And she came to me and said, was this something you'd be interested in doing? And I read the book and I... I just, I had no idea how something like this could happen. Like the whole idea of two kidnappings with the same guy. I was like, the pieces just didn't line up at all. And so I think that's really what got me the most interested in this story was figuring out how something like this could happen.
0: So your background is primarily you were a DP. Yes. For specifically, and this is something that I love, that I found out after you and I connected, true crime reenactments. That was like a strength of yours, or is a strength of yours, rather. Yeah. Which shines in this movie specifically.
1: Oh, thanks. Oh, That's, yeah. I love hearing that because, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean I make my living, for the most part, as a director of photography for a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do a lot of true crime recreations, which I adore doing. I sure. uh, I do a lot of documentaries and documentaries that are more sort of, you know, socially conscious documentaries, documentaries about women and change that they're instituting in third world countries. And I work closely with a lot of female directors of documentaries. And so it's always been documentaries for sure have always been my love in sort of the film genre, because I mean, I every single documentary film I've worked on has changed my life, has opened my eyes, has given me new insight to the world. That's a
0: strong statement.
1: Huge. It's huge. It's absolutely true, too. They've they've helped me realize who I am and how I can be a better person. I mean, they've been completely impactful on my life.
0: So would you say that those prior experiences helped you take a softer approach to what you, I think you, I mean, I might be being presumptuous here, but this is a very delicate family to yeah. become meshed in. Yes. So you couldn't be like some grizzled, you know, New York Times, roll your sleeves up, you know. Just say it, goddammit. Right. You, know, you can't right. do that with this story.
1: No, I don't I don't think you can. I mean, I, I I've said it many, many times before. I think I think part of our strength uh going in and doing this documentary was it was a team of three women right. really that went into this house and talked to these parents and 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 just, you know, we did dishes together and we played with the grandkids and and we we communicated with them about just normal stuff and talked a little bit about what the what the interviews were going to be like in the coming days but we were more just women talking to them and Mm -hmm. it's a very female household you know it's yeah it is three daughters a mom and bob and it's just always had so much female energy that i think those two energies really matched in a great way
0: i i mean it comes through there's a level i mean you can especially i feel like the confessionals with bob specifically um you can really see him make the decision to say the thing he's going to say and then say it, which I I think, I think in documentary filmmaking is such a cool thing to be able to capture because, you know, sometimes it's like, well, you know, you watch these true crime documentaries and people are so traumatized that, not that you want them to say anything more than they'd be comfortable saying, but it's very obvious there's a you know, still waters run deep kind of a thing. Right. And in this case, the things that they say are what make your documentary so explosive. You know. They're not just like narration and then cutaway reaction, more narration. Yeah. This is the film. The story is driven by the narration that you capture from the interviews. Yeah.
1: And I always think it's a really fascinating thing because I know in talking with, with Jan, who's an actress and Marianne, who they have both been talking about this story in a public way for the last 10 or 15 years, less so kind of in the last five years, but, but really from the time the book came out, you know, they were talking about it very publicly. Jan was doing public speaking. And so, I mean, you guys know, you know, sort of on talking on podcasts, how things can kind of become rote sometimes where you say yep. things right. and then you just, it becomes a bit of a monologue. And so that was, I think with this film and with, with any film, it's it's always the, the goal and the aim is to kind of get that monologue out there, get that telling of the story, and then to kind of come in at it from different directions right. and kind of get a little bit beneath the surface of what they've been accustomed to talking about for the past 20 years or 10 years or however long it is and just dig a little bit deeper. And that's, I think that's what's intriguing about making documentary films is really sort of talking to people about, about things they didn't think about in a certain
2: way. Should we, before we get too into the details of the documentary, can you give just kind of a broad overview of what the story behind it, because it's, it's crazy. It's it is- crazy. We
0: could just end the do- the show with you just giving a Reader's Digest version of what I know, (laughs) Yeah,
2: there are some events
1: in this documentary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the story, Abducted in Plain Sight, is about a family that live in Pocatello, Idaho, and they are befriended by a fellow uh, church member from the LDS church, and he kind of makes his way into the family and gets very strong relationships with both the mother and the father, and he's got five kids he's married and these two families end up spending a lot of time together and everybody loves him he's like the the life of the party and then he ends up kidnapping jan once and then another time and then also goes off to jackson hole and convinces jan that she wants to come with him and so she goes off to jackson hole and manages throughout all of these escapades to basically get off with spending only nine days in jail
2: Right. And Jan Jan is 12.
1: And Jan is 12 and 14, like the second time she's 14. So, yeah, she's a little girl. He's 39 and second time is 40. Um, He also manages in a very sort of intrinsic way to groom the entire family. Yes. And beyond grooming the entire family, I think he also groomed the entire community. And so so when this was happening, you know, there were certainly half of the community that really believed in the Brobergs and half the community that really believed in Birchtold. And so there was this sort of divisive thing that that set into play. I mean, the film also has aliens, it has motorhomes, it has arson, the, it has CIA The
2: aliens. alien I plot mean, <laughs> line. The okay. mission. We have to finish the mission. <gasps> okay. So God,
0: we're gonna start. Um all right. So the first question I have is about Something that gets mentioned quickly, and I think it's because of just economy, like, you know, um, there is the device that Birchtold uses to convince the father and mother of Jan to allow him to sleep in the bed with her is that a he's been, you know, seeing a therapist for the fact that he was sexually molested by his aunt tells them this, which I think you do a very good job of showing how just explosive that admi- admission alone at the time would have been. So that, that causes everybody to kind of set back on their heels. So they, they don't know what to do with this. Right. And then the second punch in it is that he then informs the parents that, well, I know this sounds crazy, but part of my therapy is I need to lay in bed next to a child and listen to these tapes, which he presents these tapes that the therapist gave him. Right. And this is, you know, when you watch the documentary, you can understand understand why this had to be said very quickly. But that alone could be its own documentary. Oh,
1: I know. Yeah. yeah. So
0: can you expand a little bit more on that? Because I'm fascinated by this plot point.
1: Yeah, this is it was really interesting. And we actually talked to a forensic psychologist to kind of help us unpack all of this and and sort of asked her, you know, what was therapy like in the 70s? Is this normal? And and what? We sort of came to believe the parents and Jan never heard these tapes. Like they were tapes that Birch told sort of held it up and said, I need to listen to these tapes that will help me through this trauma that I went through as a child, but that they never listened to them and they never listened to, to what was on them. And what the forensic psychologist believes is that if this therapist actually did give these tapes to Birch told, which,
0: which may we don't know, but we
1: don't know that it's what he said. Sure. It's what he told the Brobergs. So he may have gotten these tapes somewhere else. Um, Um, It seems plausible that a therapist gave him these tapes, but her thinking is that the therapist probably gave these tapes and said, you should lay in bed next to your wife and listen to these tapes. And so he according to our forensic psychologist, sort of had gone and and taken this and Interesting. Yeah, flipped this story. Okay. And so he'd taken portions of this, and I think he did that quite well, actually, is taken this kind of truth and just turned it 90 degrees and made it into his own truth. And so took these tapes and laid down with Jan to listen
2: to these pretty highly sexualized tapes. Kind of speaking to that, one of the things that's really unsettling about this documentary to me is it's not unlike watching a documentary about like an athlete or someone who is just really, really great at their job. Right. Yes. And when people hear stories like this and are like, well, how does this happen? Because this guy's really great at what he's doing. And I know like he he knows what he's doing and it's really effective. Yeah. And it it I think just sheds a lot of light on how these kind of things you see it in Leaving Neverland too with Michael Jackson. Like he he was very calculated in what he was doing to make this happen.
0: Well, and people who've lived a really they have had the luxury of never been under the thumb of an abusive person will really can't understand the cloud that's created. I mean, even just yeah. that alone. You know, people aren't thinking straight under those circumstances. Right. And, you know, uh, to that point, you know, let's talk about his relationship with the parents because, you know, he realizes that the only way to get to the daughter is to completely manipulate the family, which you can also understand why what's mentioned in the documentary is that he's tried this. The The term that that FBI agent who I will love until the I day know. I die. Yeah. What's his name? <laughs> Pete Welsh. Pete Welsh. Oh yeah. my God, I love him. Yeah. Um, the way he phrases it is like he's tr- he had tried this with two little girls in the community to be- before, but what I heard was he had tried this with two families before.
1: Right. So, right.
0: you know... Basically, he was going to be scientific about this until he could find a family where, in his mind, he could completely encapsulate this one person as long as he could completely disengage the parents from what was going on. Yeah, And how he did it was incredibly predatory. Um, and I don't know if I really want to spoil it for people that haven't seen the documentary because yeah. there's a
2: – you kind of want to experience this surprise. It's one of those this surprise. documentaries kind – of, have you seen Crazy Love?
0: Oh, I, yeah, of course. There's
2: a point I, in the middle of, like, if you've seen Crazy Love, you want to tell everyone what happens in the middle of that documentary, but you can't. You can't. You, you can't. can't. Like, but You have to keep that a secret.
0: But what I want to talk about is the way your documentary validates uh, the process that a predator goes into when grooming a family.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because when I, throughout the whole time when I was working on the film, you know, my husband would come in and I'd be playing something on my computer and he's like, they're vampires. I'm like, what? <laughs> he's like, they're vampires. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, in all the vampire shows you ever watch, a vampire has to be invited into the home. Wow. Oh. And I was like, you're Ooh, right. I, I know, I did too. <laughs> I love that.
0: No, it's completely true. And actually, yeah, I mean, that's actually, I mean, if you think about Twilight, It's the oldest man in the world dating a (laughs) 15-year-old. Right, yeah, exactly, right? (laughs) (laughs) Strong parallel. Strong parallel. Definitely isolates her from the rest of the family. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, there's a whole other podcast. I know, Uh, yeah. So what was the question? The difference is, uh,
2: this is a good movie.
0: Yeah, well Well said, well said. Um, My question is, why do you think it's taken so long to talk talk about about... grooming specifically because like what's what i find really ironic about it is that we all talk about the catholic church right like it's a big system it's like something we all know and it's like it's totally organized and we all know they swap these people around yeah so we know how incorporated something like this can be but for some reason when we're talking about it on a micro level which just as prevalent. We haven't had this conversation yet.
1: Yeah. It's so fascinating because I've really been thinking about this since really since the since we finished the film and we were talking about it uh, at film festivals, which was we had great conversations. But really, since the film hit Netflix, and there has been such sort of violent reactions to the parents. Yeah. And that's when I my processing and my eyes kind of opened and I'm like, that's why we don't talk about it because we don't want to be attacked. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to tell how we were blindsided, how the mistakes that we made, because Everybody is going to call us stupid. Everybody is going to say we messed up. Everybody is going to blame us, which is happening now with the documentary too. People are blaming not just the parents. that, but
0: and leaving Neverland
1: and leaving. Right. Neverland. And I, I
0: have to be honest. I mean, there have there were moments in both documentaries where I looked at my husband and was like, "I they've lost me now. I don't understand this part." But one of the things that I find. Back to my my boy Pete. I love Pete. I know when he says that, and this is an FBI agent. This is not like a social worker or a cop or some guy. This is an FBI agent. When he says, "I had never heard the term pedophile before," right?
2: Yeah. So
0: I feel like, especially for this story, um, and then you could even kind of project this backward onto what we heard about the Catholic Church for you know now and why it was so quiet before, you know, we're not giving enough credit to the fact that this didn't exist in someone's mind because a healthy person does not fantasize about children. Right. So why would you assume anyone would?
1: Right. right, right. It was a totally it was a totally foreign concept. And I think also in small town Pocatello, you know, totally. where we're really not talking about anything. I, I grew up in the 70s in a small town in Oregon. And we never... I I didn't know the word pedophile. My parents, like they they wanted me to be safe and all that, and they protected me and great, but we never talked about pedophiles. I mean, that's not a word I really even knew until I was well into...
0: College, maybe, which goes into why a young person wouldn't understand what was happening, yeah. right? Because they don't have a, a place to put that. I mean, right. even when anybody's first sexual experiences, there's no, no real way to categorize those first experiences, right? Like right. at all, at other all. than they're the first experiences, and yeah. then that sets the tone, unfortunately, for everything.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oops. Yeah, uh, I think that's why so many like grisly murders and things happen in small towns. Like, if you're a killer, you have to just think, well. It's kind of a small town where no one locks their doors. Right. I'm just going to go there and find somebody to kill. Yeah, you're a hunter. And there's a, like mm-hmm. a mentality of, well, we're safe. We're not – like that happens in the city. Yeah. And no, it doesn't. Like crime happens everywhere. everywhere. And I think yeah. when you're living in that kind of isolated community, you're more susceptible to it because you just – like I lived in Sioux Falls at one point and I walked into a liquor store and there was this couple. They were fr- their plate, They had New York plates, I think. And the woman asked the guy if he locked the car door. And she goes, oh, yeah, never mind. We're in Sioux Falls. Sioux Falls at the time had the highest rate of property crime in the nation. <laughs> right. Like, I wanted to just steal uh, something from the car just, just to prove right. a point. Right. And, yeah. yeah, I think when you get in those smaller locations, you just feel so isolated. And it makes... Things like this easier to pull off.
1: Well, a lot easier, too, because you feel so isolated and you feel like you know everyone. And that's the other issue here, right, is that the FBI at this point in time was like, stranger danger, stranger danger, stranger danger. And nobody was talking about it's your best friend or your neighbor and it's somebody that you know. And these small towns are like, we know everybody nobody's a criminal we're all safe and so that's where i think the real disconnect then happens and i honestly i believe that's the problem still today is nobody ever believes that it's somebody that you know love and trust that is going to do this to your children
0: which is why the michael jackson thing is so extreme because yeah. you know one of the things not to plug a different documentary, but, it's fine. but no, literally they're... both of them I've seen like in tandem articles. Like yeah. people, yeah, it's, the same, it's the same thing. But, you know, I was talking about it with my husband and we were saying how, you know, the power of these, the parents grew up with Michael Jackson. Yeah. So the parents thought they knew him, you know, in a way that the kids couldn't even really have appreciated. It's a way that I certainly don't appreciate about Michael Jackson. I've never needed him to be a good guy. As right. far as I knew, he was not a good guy. And I've always thought that. Um, but I, I feel like you're right. You know, you, it's, the people are attacking naivety. But the reality of it is, is I think the reaction is so strong because we're all mourning the loss of that together.
1: Could be. I think yeah. that we
0: want to believe our parents are going to protect us. Yeah. I think that's a fair desire from a human being.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And the thought that somebody could manipulate the parents on that level, I think subconsciously really rattles people.
1: And it's almost, I mean, I think Karen says it in our film, you know, it's just, it's too hard to believe that you just don't. Right. And you can't see it because it's just too hard. So that's where the denial comes in. And that's where the coping mechanism of just kind of saying, no, 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 it's too bad. It's too bad. It's too bad. I'm just going to, I'm just going to cover my ears and close my eyes and go to sleep.
0: Well, yeah. and then the other thing about it that was fascinating to me that, you know, it's one of those things where I'm watching the documentary and I, I want to talk about the alien uh, plotline. Yeah. We have to talk about that. I mean, we're, we're going to not spoil certain things, but we got to talk about the aliens.
2: Definitely. <laughs>
0: um, I want to believe that these people don't go to the lengths that Burstall does to brainwash Jan. But then when you watch something like leaving Neverland. And what these men both have in common is they use what they have at their disposal to completely brainwash these victims for years. That's the other thing, right? Because I think everybody wants to believe at least like, ah, with the pedophile thing, it's like, it happens once and then they get away and whatever. But it's like, no, unfortunately, (laughs) when they get a victim, they stay that way for a while. Right. Because it's someone they know. Yeah.
1: And Jan talks about it a lot too. Uh, You know, she talks about how they knew the Birch Birchtolds for two years before he kidnapped her. Right. I mean, she also said, you know, so the brainwashing took 10 seconds, which it's like, well, it did when it finally actually, when that then that screw was turned, that final screw. But well, the brainwashing like, was over a course of two like years That's like that Tony Robbins
0: thing where he's like, your life doesn't just change in a minute. It's actually right. been, le- I can't believe I just quoted I Tony Robbins
1: in this documentary. <laughs> Me either.
2: Conversation.
0: <laughs> I'm really proud of myself. And great.
2: Twilight. Thanks. Tony Robbins and Twilight. Well, really? We- Hitting all the, yeah, all the important all cultural the highs, yeah. 2019 <laughs> touchstones. I
0: feel bad. Bad that I didn't bring my vision board. Right. <laughs> because it's all coming, manifesting right here. <laughs> but the alien thing, can you talk about that? I feel like you could probably explain it better than I could. Well,
1: so in the film, uh, Jan wakes up in a motorhome after she's been kidnapped the first time and hears these alien voices sort of coming to her through. Um, I mean, I had always. I mean as long as we're going here we might as well bring in Charlie's Angels yeah. right so uh, <laughs> of course. I had always imagined this little intercom as the Charlie Charlie's Angels squawk box yeah, cuz she she them. wakes
0: up in a Winnebago next to an intercom an intercom
1: right. that's got these voices these alien voices giving her instructions of what to do a
0: Winnebago she had never seen before right cuz right. she had been drugged
1: yes it, yeah. And if, nobody really knew this Winnebago existed. Like it wasn't she'd never been in it. Uh, the Brobergs had never seen it. So this was a Winnebago that that Bert Schult had either recently acquired or had been sort of squirreling it away wow. somewhere. Yeah. So she wakes up to these these voices giving her instructions and she eventually goes to the front of the motorhome and finds Birch told there and it kind of cements him as her companion. And this, hero
0: really. Hero yeah, she's he's terrified. an
1: adult, she's a little girl. She thinks both of the, he tells her that both of them have been kidnapped by aliens and that that they're the only two in this situation that know about this. She can't talk to any about anybody about it because of all these threats.
0: She'll be vaporized. She'll be vaporized. Vapor, you know, her, pa- her
1: parents, her dad'll be vaporized, her sister will go blind, which he had known that her sister was terrified of being blind you know and he, and he Ugh. said all these things that he'd known about because he'd been around their family, the, the things hell? that are the most scary to use that as ammunition
0: i mean it's just using all of the vulnerability that you share in these experiences with children you know because it's like I, I have friends we all went to college together now they have these babies and I right. just I feel responsible for them too you know yeah. like I, it's like a pack you know yeah and I, I don't I don't understand I don't I mean I it's a good thing I don't understand it but the extent that he goes to to brainwash this person and the thing about it though I want to ask you there's a moment in the documentary where I feel like had this one thing not happened Jan might have had a shot and it's the moment where the FBI locates Jan and Birchtold Bro- and, um, in Mexico, mm-hmm. in Mazatlan, which apparently has always just been like the movie Sicario, but right. <laughs> um, and they're taken in by the Mexican police and Birchtold bribes a Mexican police officer to bring Jan back down into the cell where he really cements her with this fear. And I feel like had that moment not happened, maybe I'm wrong, but maybe it seems like that's the moment where he just scared the shit out of her. Yeah. And I
1: mean, imagine this super scary situation that you're in a Mexican prison. I mean, in the 70s. I mean, it's just like to imagine that is like the scariest place for a 12 year old little girl to be anyway, alone, and then with her hero off in a different cell. And so I think that Situation compounded with him saying, "You absolutely cannot talk about it because it's going to get way worse than this." If the you world do. will end. The world will end. Right? Yeah.
0: And I talked about this when we did our live podcast, but you know, my parents were evangelical rapture people. Mm-hmm. So you know, you hear that and you think, like, well, why would a kid believe that? But I, I remember praying and asking God, you know, if you could just. I understand you got to save the world, but it'd be really great if the rapture could happen after prom. I just wanted to go to prom. Right. That's like where my head was at because I was a child. I didn't know I was a child, but I was a child, right? And and that's the age where you don't know you're a child. Yeah.
2: yeah. I had a paper route when I was a kid, and there was a woman on the route who would, she would save the rubber bands that I put on the papers and then would give them back to me every week. And one week I went to collect, like this was when you had to go door to door to, to collect the money too. And one week she didn't give me the rubber bands and was like, the world's ending this week, so I don't need to give you the rubber bands. Oh, wow. And I, like all that week, I was like, really?
0: Well, to be fair, Adam, she collected rubber bands.
2: <laughs> and then I showed up the next week like, huh?
0: What happened? <laughs> Where's my rubber band, Where are laying? my rubber
2: bands?
0: <laughs> I mean, I remember my dad, uh, who you know I famously talk about on the show as being really stable, um, told me he put like flea medication on our cat. And I think he I don't think he realized what he said to me but he said, you know, don't touch the cat because there's poison on the cat and it could kill you. Right. And then I absent-mindedly pet the cat and for a week I thought I was going to die. Right. And I, my mom was like, are you okay? You're being weird. I'm like, I'm going to die. And my mom was like, why? I'm like, I pet the cat. She's like, I'm very confused. I don't understand. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you think about, you know, how impressionable we all were at the age of 12, it's like, all we know is this little microcosm of what we live in. If our parents say we're going to die because we pet the cat or that there are aliens or that the world is going to end because the rubber bands aren't there, you know, then you believe that because we have nothing else to compare it to
0: it's such a vulnerable time. You know, my mom passed away when I was 19. My younger brother was 12. And then our younger brother was 10. And, it's the 12-year-old that really got hit the yeah. most. Uh, it's that age. It's I don't know. I don't know what it is about like 12 to 13 where it's got to be like a brain thing. It, well, it has to year. be.
2: And you're starting to feel like you can think for yourself. Yeah. Like you're almost yeah. a teen. So yeah. you're like, I'm an adult now.
0: Yeah, you're heading into junior high, which yeah. is basically high school.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'd be fascinated because I've often thought about, you know, the kids who are indoctrinated into these gangs, you know, and, yeah. into all these various different places at the age of around 12, 13, 14, you know, and how that's the age that is
2: targeted because you're the most impressionable at that the time. The Nazis did it. Hitler Youth. Oh, that's, yeah. That yeah. was a big component of them staying in power as long as they did right. because they would get kids early and I think that's what y- all
0: youth group is, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, it was. it's an indoctrination tool. Yeah. I don't know why it didn't work on me. It did for a while, <laughs> but I think I just had too much... Uh,
1: Curiosity?
0: Angela's ass. Wait, you were
1: in the Hitler on. Youth? Yeah, no. Oh, yeah.
0: I've never brought this up. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, not anymore. Uh, I figured, no, that is not accurate. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, that won't come back to bite. I guess I can't run for president now.
2: Right. Um, right. Not during World War II anymore. No.
0: So he manages to brainwash her in this. How long were they gone the first stint? Three, uh, three months. Three months. I mean, also just statistically Wait, speaking. right?
2: The, no, the first three, what, weeks, three weeks, three weeks sorry. But it doesn't matter because there was a long a shorter one and a longer The yeah, shorter, a shorter one, was, one a,
1: was the first one sorry I miss, three weeks,
2: there. three weeks
0: though, the statistics of a child being returned after being kidnapped after three weeks are like no no one does like you don't get your kid back typically right. at that point right so it's a miracle yeah that they get their, their child back. back, yeah, like it's a miracle now, yeah and then the boom is lowered. Yeah. They're blackmailed, which is the yeah. thing. I don't want to talk about how it happens, but okay. the parents are blackmailed because it's like, if you yeah. take that away from them. I
1: know. I know. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, I told my husband that, like, I'm not a sports person, but this documentary made me sound like one because of how much I was yelling at the TV. Yeah. I was like, what? Like, <laughs> no!
1: Oh, yeah. You know?
0: But she gets taken again. Yeah. He's let back into the family again. So just just even beyond the blackmail effort, he's still let back into the family on some level.
1: Yeah. And this this is where I think Faith really comes into play a lot. Because...
0: I completely agree with you.
1: Yeah. Because I think so much of what the Brobergs were thinking was, A, he's just kind of sick. He took our daughter. But... There's something wrong with him, and yeah. we can help him.
0: Something that we don't have context for at all. At all. At, at all. We don't know how dark this really is. No. right, No. So
1: I think that's so much a part of it. And, and the church let him back in. They let him back in with the idea that we can help this man get better. And if he spends more time around us, our family, which we love him, we're good people, we can help him be a better person.
0: You're so right about this because what they teach you in the LDS community and Christian communities is, you know, Jesus asks his disciples, how will they know us? And he says, by our love. Right. So they think that that's what works. Yeah. Because, yeah. G- I mean, you get it. Yeah. But it's like.
1: And it would be wonderful.
0: Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it
1: be great?
0: Well, I actually believe for most people, that's. True, it's just that comes with like a million qualifiers. But with child predators, I don't believe that's true.
1: Right, right. It's just such a hard thing because because I think that I think that faith also saved the Brobergs. I think it kept them totally together. But it's also what opened the door to the vampire. I right. feel
0: like ultimately your documentary is a conversation about how complicated our inner conversation our our inner negotiations about the concept of forgiveness are
1: oh god
2: yeah yeah because
0: forgiveness is how all of this happens including the good stuff
2: exactly exactly there's i mean this will kind of be a spoiler but
0: yeah it's whatever it's okay not
2: really but there's a i think the most shocking moment to me is after he's already kidnapped their kid the mom has an affair with him yeah like talk about letting the guy back in my god yeah and yeah. it's a long affair
0: it's eight months eight. yeah it's, it's months. like eleven encounters over eight months, yeah, I may have watched a documentary eight or nine Which, yeah <laughs> that
2: blew my mind It's like,
0: a really
1: interesting thing to me because uh you know when. He'd planted those seeds, you know, he'd sort of started this whole flirtation and, and sort of some necking and things before the first kidnapping. And so when that affair sort of continues after the first kidnapping, and this is interesting, too, because I think in Marianne's mind, she was like, well, if he's attracted to me, mm. I mean, that, I don't even think she was thinking he can't be attracted to my little girl. I think it was nowhere in her no, brain no. that that could even be well, And thing. also they
0: had... Jan examined. Right. And by all accounts, her hymen hadn't been broken yet. Right. Which, uh, you know, there's that, the reason for that is elucidated prior to what you find out. But again, in the context of that time, well, if a doctor is telling you that she hasn't been assaulted and my daughter is telling me that nothing happened. Right,
1: right. and that's that's the other issue, a, a much greater issue that goes to, you know, the Michael Jackson documentary, R.J. Kelly, all of these things are these sort of positions of power. And in in my mind, it's these patriarchal institutions that say, we wield all power, churches, yeah. Listen to us because you're supposed to listen to us. And, and everybody else says, oh, we'll listen to them because we're supposed to listen to them. And that's what happened, I think, with the doctor saying. And, you know, a doctor who couldn't possibly think that there was any other type of abuse that could have happened except for penetration like that just blows my mind, too. But yeah. Well,
0: he just didn't have fun in college, obviously. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, the thing that comes to mind, too, when I think about her Jan's mother, Marianne, is – um, which, and I think that this is a fair thing to wonder about, although there is not going to, it's a black box. How lonely do you have to be? Because even yeah. if like, even if we're talking about just the bare facts that he abducted her daughter, right? Like, right. Cause you know, it's like, I have a son and uh, you know, if he's at the grocery store too long with someone that isn't myself or my husband, I hate that person right. for at least that time. Like yeah. I want to kill them until my baby's back in my arms. Yeah. So she does lose me with this affair. Based on that alone, I know. Um, and I mean, again, I am no one, but but you I, represent
1: I, a, how a lot of people feel.
0: But I do question the power of loneliness. Yeah, because I think that how these people work is, and you know, you see this in your documentary and in all of the stories that have come out of what happened with the Catholic Church happening, what is happening with the Catholic Church, and you know, all these other places is they identify lonely people that have never been told that they're special,
1: right? Right. And yeah. look
0: look at what that look at what social media has capitalized on with that. Right. <laughs> just that. Yeah. Like yeah. that's just th- that thing has preyed on us in that way. So, if a person who you respect and who f- you perceive as everyone else loving is telling you that you're, you're special, special, you're going to save the world. Right. You you right. you. And then or this mother who I don't know what I don't know what was going on between her and her husband. It doesn't seem like a lot because she was so easily taken in by the charms of a man in a trailer. Right. For God's sakes, woman.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think, too, you know, her husband, Bob, had his own business. He had his flower shop. So he was there all the time. She was stuck at home with the kids, not getting sort of a real husband at home helping her. So I I agree with you completely. Like, what does loneliness do to you? And and how do you have to kind of, you know, just... Check in with your partner and make sure you're not getting there, you know, to this completely lonely, desolate state.
0: Because we all want to believe that we can't be that desperate. But I think that's the first step towards ruination is assuming that you can't make these colossal mistakes.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's how people
0: get behind the car drunk, live behind the wheel of a car drunk. Because they never believe they're going to get in a crash. I'm fine.
1: Right. Right. That's
0: how it all happens.
1: Yeah. And I look back to, you know, sort of how how different my feelings of love are now with my husband because we've been married for ten years and and it's changed completely. Yeah. And I talk about I say, you know, I'm a little bit like we'll never feel the same way that we did about each other as we did in that first two years of dating. Ever. It's not it's no. never gonna be this like crazy, desperate, maniacal sort of love that we felt. It's no. it's it's transitioned into something deeper and meaningful, and I love him to bits. But that sort of crazy love, crazy love, <laughs> right, is is never going to be there with us again. And so I can, with Marianne, I think she was starting to feel that. And I don't actually know if it was this crazy love, because she and Bob, when they first were dating, it was, he was away on a mission, and they were dating through these letters. And so I'm not sure that that, even that sort of feeling of crazy love was there with her with Bob. And so maybe I, this was the first time she felt
0: it. I never yeah. really got a hot and heavy vibe from the two of them anyway. I mean, I, and, and that's not really for me to say, but, right. this, but but I think it's important because it's like, you know, like my parents, for example, stayed married because the church told them, told them to stay right. married. And yeah. so there's all of that going on too. Yeah. You know, like sure. you just, you, it, the divorce doesn't cross your Like none of that. It's not an option. It's not an I mean, option. Is, right. So one of the things that, I have been pondering over, especially now that I'm seeing all the reactions and looking at my own reactions. I feel like people approach content now like, okay, well, now that I know this, I have to do something about it. I mm. have to have an opinion about it. I uh, have to decide something about this. But I feel like your documentary is not asking anyone to do that. And if, it the, if, if anything, it shows what the one person that had a, any agency in it could really do about it which is jan she did the two things that would be hard for anyone to do which is she forgave her family yeah and she became an activist right that's who we need to do something about this right do you you think people are having a complicated reaction about it because they feel they need to put this somewhere
1: yeah i do i mean i think that i think that when people watch it, their reactions are so big because it's just so sort of unbelievable what we're experiencing. And I actually feel like they're sort of thrust into this place of wanting to talk to somebody about it. And I, for one, feel like that's a really good place to be because we aren't talking about it. And if this film sort of thrusts you onto Twitter, even if they're hate tweets that you're throwing out there, or, you know, you feel bad for the parents. And even now, I think people maybe don't feel like they can feel bad for the parents because they'll get attacked on social media. But our whole hope with this was to really start the conversation. And even though the conversation is pretty sort of volatile right now, it started, and I do feel like people are talking about it. and for that, I kind of think maybe we were trying to do that. We were trying to incite some kind of a response to start this so that we can continue it so that Jan really can continue it.
2: right.
0: Well, what kind of person watches this and doesn't feel something? You know I mean, I
1: know. I know. That's kind yeah. of a hard
0: one. It'd be I like... think there's been one. There's been
1: one tweet out there that was like <laughs> one, re- one one thing. that said, yeah, it wasn't as shocking as I thought it was going to be. And I was like, like. I liked it. <laughs> I was
0: like. Well, also, like, can someone check on that person? <laughs> Are they okay? What was their childhood like? Yeah. yeah. Maybe they've, they're they in, like, a Twilight situation.
2: Oh, <laughs> maybe. maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, maybe just big Twilight fans. Right. Yeah, Fifty like Shades you. of Grey. This is how it's supposed to work. I, so you're not
0: saying he's literally a vampire. Well, I'm <laughs> at, I, I, Yeah, I know. This right? is some bullshit. Yeah. No eternal life? Fuck this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay, my other question. <laughs> I swear to God, I'll stop at some point. But were you scared to release this? Like, as an artist, this is this is like your... This is a hell of a... I mean, this is a heck of a debut.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I was scared. I think um, I had a lot of conversations with myself and with my husband and, and just saying, is this is this a story that should be out there? Is this exploitive in any way? Is this is this doing something it shouldn't be doing? Um, should the story even be told? And every time, you know, we'd sort of sit there and talk about it, it it really came back to the fact that, yeah, it should be told. And, and Jan wants to talk about it. And right. her family wants to talk about it. And I, you know, her parents... I think they had an idea about the backlash that was going to happen. Jan certainly had an idea. Her sister certainly had an idea about the backlash that was going to happen. And they still went forward and told the story anyway. So so the fact that, I mean, I guess it goes back to people talking about it and trying to to just ease some of the shame because I even know, you know, the more Jan talks about it, the easier it is for her to talk about these things. And the more any of us talk about anything hard to talk about, the more we do it, the easier it becomes. The more people hear it, the easier it is for them to tell their stories. And so there were certainly those moments where I, I questioned whether this film would do any good. Mm. And, yeah.
0: um,
2: and I can only hope that it does. That's, that's what I... One of the, I mean, I like a lot of things about it, but that's one of the things I like about it. I do feel like a lot of true crime documentaries are a little exploitative. A lot, yeah. especially with a lot of the newer shows, where it's just like crimes of opportunity. Like we know how that happens, right? Like you don't like you're just showing me murders for my entertainment. Right. Yeah,
0: Adam and I have to like really sift through topics because it's like, do we really need to talk yeah. about this? Like, but with
2: this, there is. There's absolutely something to be learned in how this happens and how can because it's so easy to be on the outside and go, well, as a parent, I would never let that happen. And maybe you would you like you don't know, you know, watching a documentary like this explains that it, it explains, at least in that case, it explains how it happened. And that speaks to a broader psychology behind the people who do this. The question I really have is do people watch it and feel
1: so sort of separated from it going, this could never happen to me, that all of their ability to kind of take it in and listen Mm -hmm. and self- reflect. Does that just go away or does it sit with them and then like somewhere down the road do they go? Remember that when I said this was never never going to happen to me, it's happening to me. Maybe I can change. it. And that's my big right. question. Like is it is it so kind of like hit you in the face that people just say, "Nope, I'm not listening. I'm turning it off. I'm 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 putting the blinders on." And that's that's what's going to be sort of interesting I think moving forward and as the film is right. out there for a while.
0: I think it's I think it's going to do both. I mean, I know yeah. that I know that In the world of true crime, especially amongst podcasters and, you know, some of the other industry conversations I've had is the overall sense is that there was an anxiety at the beginning of this kind of explosion in the genre of like, are we assholes? Right. Are we? Yeah. And in some cases, yeah. But no more than Dr. Phil is an asshole. In my opinion. Right. And in yeah. some cases I think he can be a lot worse actually. But or like Maury Povich or mm-hmm. you know, which is a person that continues a stereotype about the African American community literally every day.
1: <laughs> right. Right.
0: Uh, so thanks to that. But I think that the fact that this is now in the cultural consciousness is the most important thing. Mm. Yeah. Because the ela- I come back to this, the elaborate nature of what this person did to victimize this entire family was real. And people need to know that that's possible because yeah. you're otherwise, you know, when you're in it and you're being gaslighted by the whole thing, you just think to yourself, like, this is crazy. You know, it's like when you're at work and you know, uh, you've been freelancing for a long yeah, time. Yeah. I, 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 what? I, what is, that? as somebody office? who just what? got laid off from an <laughs> office job, Um, you know, it's like when you're working with these people and they're just being shitty to you and you know, they're being shitty to you, but then you try to talk about it at H in HR and they're like, Caitlin, put yourself in my shoes. What exactly am I supposed to do about a snotty email, which could be read anyway? You... That's the world you're living in, right? Yeah,
2: right. but it's
0: your life, <laughs>
2: right? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I think it, it's it's it came out at a good time because not not just leaving Neverland, but also the R. Kelly documentary yeah. just happened. And... It's like
0: when Volcano and Dante's Peak came out in the same year.
2: Exactly, <laughs> it is exactly like that.
0: I feel like it's explosive. <laughs> yeah. I'm here all week.
2: Yeah. Because with the the R. Kelly and Michael Jackson thing, there's that – I mean there's a power component in any case like this. But with that, there's fame too. So you can watch either of those and go, well, my kid's never going to be in the same room with Michael Jackson, so I'm fine. And then you watch this documentary, and that's not Michael Jackson – pulling off these crimes. It's just a regular dude right. who got like I had a family friend in when I was a kid who was just around all the time and he weirded me the fuck out. Yeah. And, like, yeah, that's that enough. guy could have been this guy. Like,
0: He probably might have been. He might have been, I yeah. don't f I feel like our instincts are generally right about people because, I mean, it sounds like a terrible thing to say. Like, hate is not the same thing as an instinct, by the way. But anyway. <laughs> um, like,
2: one thing he did, uh, I won't even say his name. I-, I always suspected he was in the CIA or something. Hmm. He was really weird. Oh, the weird guy. But one time, my sister, for some reason, was using the bathroom with the door open. She was, like, eight or something. And he walks in. Nope. And sees her and just stops and goes, oh, my God, Betsy, you're getting so big. Ugh. Ew! And, and we were all just like, isn't that weird? And that was the end of it. We were okay, just- well, I think we can confirm. That's weird. That, that's that's not, yeah. Very, that's weird. And looking back, it's like, why was that dude around our house? Right. It's nuts. Yeah. Right. I worked
0: for a guy. My one of my coworkers, my ex coworkers, was like just like a mo- like a robot beautiful person, like just the kind of beautiful person where sometimes you kind of want to touch their face. You're like, fuck yeah, that person. yeah. And one of the guys that was running the company walks past her, and he's, I'm gonna change her name, but it's like, Jessica, are you behaving? And I'm like, that? Ugh. What the fuck just happened? <laughs> what? You yeah. know, I felt like Rosie O'Donnell in Sleepless in Seattle. You know, yeah. like, I know I'm the co-star right now, but that's not OK. Um, I think I, I think the hardest part about something like this is that we have to start talking about human worth in a way that makes us very uncomfortable. Yeah, because we're in this time where it's like, well, we can't talk about that. Because then some people are worth more than others, and it's like, no, that's not the conversation we're having. We're having a conversation about like how forgiveness functions in in conjunction with how we make people worth things and not worth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, because if if we look at a story like this and say, well, these people are worthless, and uh, that's gross, and what a ride, and then we walk away, then we don't learn anything. Right. But, yeah. Right. But the truth of the matter is. The only person that gets to say how she feels about this is Jan. Mm-hmm. And Jan forgave her family. Right. So we can have our opinions about it, but the reality, the world we're living in, is the person that was most victimized and most harmed has decided to handle it this way. Right. And we don't get to Yeah. We don't get to weigh in on that. Harassing yeah. her
2: family on social media is not helping. No. Like no matter what your opinion is, it's not
0: No. You're not no. doing
2: anyone in that story any good.
0: Yeah, and just because I look at somebody who's made a mistake doesn't and and I don't agree with them, does not does not mean that as a parent they are in a net negative. It does right. not make me a good parent.
2: Right. There's... And it, also it's like oh, you're against kids being molested. Congratulations. Yes. Yes. Everyone right. is. I, we, right. We, we hope was, that's your yeah, <laughs> I was
0: joking about when I was in that podcast festival in Portland. Um one of the tour guides was so sweet, and she's like, I think you're great. I think you should run for president. I'm like, well, my platform is going to be uh, I'm going to execute child uh, rapists. <laughs> that's uh, that's what I'm going to do. She's like, what? I'm like, think about it. Right. There's my platform. There there I am at the great debate. You can argue with me if you want. Right. But I'm going to win. Yeah. Yeah. And That's yet, a slam dunk. And yet, we don't like having these conversations. We
1: hate having these conversations. Right. And I think a lot of it too is because because we have to realize kind of our own role in them. Totally. Yeah, and we're just not willing to turn the mirror on ourselves. Like, even I, am still kind of flabbergasted about all of the responses on social media.
2: It's about the parents, not the pedophile.
0: Always. Always, yeah. it's always about the victim in that. I way. would argue he's
2: the real criminal here.
0: What? Really? You're going out on <laughs> Adam, a limb there.
2: Could you not be an <laughs> can we pause? For so, once in your life. <laughs> can we pause so I can tweet that, please? I, yeah, <laughs>
0: sure. As Oprah would say, a tweetable moment. Um, well, I actually, now that you said that, this is interesting because, beca- okay, so when it comes to serial killers, it's the serial killer that gets all of the accolade. From, right. I mean, there's no other word for it, honestly. Right. The fame right. or whatever. Yes, yes. But when it comes to people of who've been victimized sexually, it's the opposite.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? Oh, how
0: weird! I had never really put that together until just now.
1: Well, most serial killers are men, and most victims are women.
0: Oh,
2: yeah.
1: I mean,
0: well, you had to make no, it about sorry. that, did you? Sorry, okay, But wow. I think no, there's just, something. No, I think you're probably. right. I mean,
1: I think there's something to be said about that, and I think that I think that serial killers. You know, I think it's a pretty. It, it's a pretty. Severe line in the sand. Like there's, there's no questioning what their motives were, you right. know. And I think, I think that's.
0: <laughs> well, I'm just thinking in my head. Is an activist serial <laughs> killer. But what's funny? Here's what's funny about it. It's like if you accuse somebody of being a child molester, there's this there's... unspoken thing where we all realize, like, okay, if we all say this guy's a child right. molester, he's not coming back from this, right? Have we, right. Has literally everyone been pulled? Meanwhile, O.J. Simpson, I think, is working on a reality show.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Right. So I, I think there's just like, it just touches on like the all, everyone understands that there's nothing more sacred than a child. Like, no one is going to no argue one's arguing with that. Yet, with that. Right. But to accuse someone of violating that trust seems like the sonic boom that people are all afraid to kind of like activate about but, anybody.
1: Yeah. But nobody, I mean, the cover ups, the oh. cover ups, the cover ups. I mean, yeah. that's the thing is it's like, it's like nobody is covering up serial killers. No. Nobody's covering that up, but everybody's covering that up. And they're still up.
0: church members. Yes. They're still, yeah. I mean, uh, John Wayne Gacy is the perfect example right. of this. Right, right. But I I mean, again, though, like we could go on a much deeper dive, but like if we're talking about men who sexually abuse women in the context of church, it's so much easier for a man with a sex addiction and alcoholism to come forward and be this like sad, you know, redemption story. However, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a recovering Porn star in any church because of right. the way women are treated. Right. Right. Because of our, the way our sexuality has been played out. Right. So right. that's a whole other beeswax yeah. situation. But it's a big
1: question because it's like, so it's great. Okay, this movie is out there. uh Finding Neverland is out there. And will it make any difference? Are these films going to sort of help us sort of right the ship in any way to have people sort of open their eyes a little bit more to their own actions, to other people's actions, and and not have these massive, massive cover ups.
0: I think it will because of how well done it is. Because wow. well and I say that because it's as somebody who covered the keepers, like what right. we do on White Wine True Crime is we cover stuff yeah. episode by episode sometimes. Right, right. That documentary is much harder to watch than you First of all, it's six hours, so there's I that. know.
1: yeah. yeah. Um yeah.
0: which actually did you guys consider making like a longer Netflix y series version? Yeah, we had considered it at some point. Because I'm sure you could have. We
1: could you, have. Constantly. I'm glad you didn't.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the yeah. thing.
1: I know. I am too a little bit, but it's been interesting lately because people are like, We want a follow up, we want, you know, we want more, we want more. Well, you
0: want to see Katherine Zellner like right. no, yeah. tweeting? <laughs> like why? I know.
1: Yeah, and then I kind of go. Well, it would be interesting because I think I think what people want is is a little bit more of it unpacked. You know, they want to know a little bit more about the faith elements. I don't the think you're elements. ever going to satisfy
0: people with it, though. And it's I true think you're because you're such a great filmmaker, yeah. and you should just go to – just my unsolicited yeah, career I, advice I, I, from an unemployed woman with a t- Honda Accord from 2010.
1: My kind of woman.
0: Uh, <laughs> I just think you know how to capture shit, and yeah. that's a bigger, that's more important. You know, the the staircase is a perfect example of like, uh, you know. There's all this mystery around it. They kept coming out with more, and by the end, everyone's like, okay, so this is still Michael Peterson's still it's a very weird. sensitive right. topic for me. I know it is. <laughs> the owl theory. <laughs> Owls attack people sometimes. I'm sorry. I know, man. I know, man. And I, I – listen – I love you for who you are and your owl, owl tendencies. Anyway. Owls
2: did it. Owl Hashtag owls, owls yeah, did I, it.
0: But back, I mean, the keepers, I don't think it was done well, frankly. I don't I don't think they did justice to, like, when it got to the point where Maskell dies, it was like, oh, and they found out Maskell's dead, and then they moved on. I'm like, oh, excuse me, the whole point of the documentary, we're dropping? And right. then I just sat through three hours of basically deposition of women's women being sexually abused, and I don't know how helpful that part was. Right.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: It was literally like a Catholic sense of, of penance. Like, right? It's just yeah. like, whoa, why are you putting me – whoa, <laughs> hey.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean there is something to say about you know uh, storytelling and delivering the story and having it be concise and having it be something that, that I think – encourages people to talk about it. I mean, there are plenty of people talking about The Keepers, I guess. But I do feel like there is something about the, the sort of tightness and, and the questions left unanswered in Abducted in Plain Sight that, that probably could never be answered, or at least right. at this point in time. I mean, maybe, you know, fast forward 50 years or something, maybe we could answer more questions then. But I think there's something about that that really encourages people to think.
0: What about Birch still fascinated you? Okay, this is gonna be really I mean, I know really, I know I know, <sighs> I know this is like a really shitty question to ask, but it's so, kinda the most important one, I
1: think. Yeah. So this is interesting because and this is what I think is, is most fascinating about serial manipulators. They don't really lie. And that was really fascinating to me. Like, they take the truth and they just kind of twist it. And so they don't have to keep track of things all that much. Because they're never really lying. They don't have to keep like track a of lies. Like a murderer, yeah. They have
0: to lie at a certain point.
1: Exactly. I yeah. didn't do it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right? Okay. What, that rag? Yeah. No, no, no. I, was, I yeah. was making a mistake.
1: But with True. everything, you know, with everything that we got from him which was you know it was some audio recordings and it was some some documents and all of these things but i was like he's never really flat out lied he's talked about something in a way that sort of deflected or that sent me on a different path but he was pretty truthful the whole Mm. time and that's what was really fascinating like i had
0: her for you're right i she was with me
1: yeah yeah you didn't talk about he did not talk about molesting her. He did not talk about abusing her. But he said, yes, we were together. We got married. All of this stuff. That was real. And in this, in this, we don't go into it much in the documentary, but he had written this kind of manifesto, I'll call it, and had sent a few pages of that to the Brobergs in the early 2000s. And we always tried oh to track this God. down, right? Oh. But it was kind of a story about his and Jan's perfect time in Mexico together. And reading these pages, you were just like, holy cow, and that's another thing where you were like, he was in love with Jan. Yeah. And that's also really fascinating to me. Like, it's not, yes, it's awful, it's devious, it's all of those things, but there is that crazy love thing behind yeah. it, too.
2: Well, she talks about it, too. She talks oh. about never having felt that way love that way like that ever yeah, ever, ever ever yeah ever well and in another, a heavy documentary yeah oh,
0: it's no. uh it's something that i want to encourage everybody believe it or not despite the fact we've been talking for as long as we have there is a lot more that we didn't oh, touch yeah. on because i want you to enjoy the documentary i want to yeah. spoil it <laughs> i have lots of jokes, but... so what are you so mm. sky tell us what's next for you it's a
1: very good question um I think I think look I love diving into the human condition and I love looking at the very complex ways that people deal with things and deal with trauma or deal with success or deal with with anything yeah. and and those are the stories that I'm the most interested in telling I love true crime um but I'm not I'm not a uh, what do you call a murderario? Is that yeah a murderino? Murderino, yeah.
0: <laughs> close enough. Yeah, you made it more Italian.
1: Thank you. I'm not a murderino necessarily. You know, right. it's not it's not the murders or the 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 Zodiac killer or those kind of things. Sure. It really is it it really is a more kind of a a homegrown kind of crimes and crimes that happen next door and and how. How they happen, and so so. Look, I don't know. Like, is a, a follow up to Abducted in Plain Sight on the books? I don't know yet. Sure. Um, I think it could be interesting, but I kind of think of it more as like. Some of the themes that we delved into, and more like yeah. a, you know, like a Baz Luhrmann kind of trilogy of, oh sure, strictly ballroom, Romeo and Juliet, so we're Moulin we're talking Rouge. like a whole
0: like uh, Paradise Lost thing with you, possibly,
1: so, okay. possibly, right, you know. Great. I mean, look, there are a lot of there are a lot of options, and there are a lot of there are a lot of dark topics to to delve into, and there's a lot of lightness too. And I think sort of looking at that human condition is something that's that's infinitely fascinating to me. So, um, and I think really you know thinking about projects with with very much women's stories involved is also something that i'm i'm very dedicated Thanks. to
0: <laughs> thank you we like that yeah yeah We like that well because yeah. so many serial killer stories are technically women's stories and they're never sorry they're never... i need to step out to tweet got, something yeah, <laughs> oh, God. he really i don't even know how we've lasted this long i know like today
1: well he's he's kind of cute
0: I agree right <laughs> Adam's adorable he's adorable. my guy uh, well how can people find you
1: oh so yeah so I've uh, I've got two websites really Sky at Top Knot Films Top Knot Films is my, my production company along with my husband and um, Sky at SkyBorgman.com and uh, that has more of my director of photography work on it but um, but yeah reach out to me uh, and and follow the work that I do I'll, I'll keep everybody posted for sure
0: good thank you so much for coming yeah, thank you. this nice. was
1: amazing I mean the conversations on this podcast have been have been really, really incredible. Thank you. Oh. Thank that you for doing it.
0: Makes me feel so good. Yes. I'm never gonna get over this. Uh, <laughs> hey Adam. Hey. If people want to talk to you, how you the can, hell does that happen?
2: You can find me on Twitter. All the social wait, media wait, wait, wait. at Adam Todd Brown. The Twitter. The Twitter.
0: I have been underestimating you.
2: Where I post my controversial opinions. Yeah,
0: about about how adults shouldn't molest kids. Well, that, I mean, that old chestnut. But also, you <laughs> seem to think, and we're going to argue no, about this that. later. it's just that. It's very
2: unsettling. It's almost...
0: It is like 12 tweets in a row. Yeah, it's weird. That is no. a weird thing to watch. No,
2: but- follow me on Twitter at Adam Todd Brown and okay. uh, subscribe on Patreon, slash unpops.
0: Yeah. Toss us a little cash. Please. Please. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Bossy Matilda because I clearly started my account in college and had no <laughs> idea where all that was going. And uh, you can find White Wine True Crime at WWT Crime. And you can find White Wine True Crime on Instagram at WWT Crime. And you can find me on Instagram.
2: Oh, and Pretty Scary. At Pretty Scary Boo. Oh, yeah. We have a Twitter account for we'll Pretty We'll start scary. using it soon. God damn it. I need to throw my Twitter
1: account in, yes, too. you Because I need to be better at Twitter, and okay. I'm really trying hard. All our
0: fans will help.
2: I,
1: thank you. It's just Sorry my name. It's Sky Borgman.
0: Oh. It's see, nothing that's... exciting, but Again, it's easy to find. Bossy Matilda. I feel I like a stripper. I know. So <laughs> it's fine. Well,
2: that's your real name.
0: Well, we'll yeah. just tell everybody. <laughs> now I'm going to go back and change my LinkedIn profile again. All right, everybody, thank you so much for coming on our show, Sky. Oh, yeah,
1: thank, thank you for doing it.
2: All yeah. right, say goodbye, everybody.
1: Goodbye, goodbye everybody. <laughs>